Let's all stand together and let's join our hearts together as we sing to God be the glory. Him with all that we have. Oh. 
Now sing, I will praise you. Sing it to him. I will praise you. I will praise you. I will praise you. I will praise you. I will praise you.
let's sing that chorus again with just your voices again. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Clint. From Isaiah 43, 16 through 19, I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the seas. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt and all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned, their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. But forget all of that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. And then from John 14, 6, Jesus told him, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Let's pray. Father, it is so sweet to trust in Jesus. We thank you that you have shown us your word. You've shown us the way in so many different things that you've done throughout time. The Old Testament is full of the way, and we're so thankful for that. We can look back and see the history of your guiding and directing us and leading us. And Father, in Christ, all the fullness of your deity dwells in him. And we're so thankful, Father, that you've opened our eyes to the truth led us to Christ. Some have not embraced him. We pray that your spirit would continue to work and guide to the way. Father, some have embraced him and we're so thankful that the church is counted among those who have embraced the way, your son, our savior, Jesus. Let us walk in the way, Father, that others may see our good works and glorify you Father, lead people to the way through the church. Help us to point to the way, our Savior Jesus. For in him, all the fullness of your deity dwells. We pray that we would be good witnesses to the way. We pray, Father, that we would represent you well tomorrow at the office school or as we stay in our homes and deal with our children let us always point to the way father the truth and the life we ask this in his name amen I worship 
Stop working, you never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. Never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. We 
worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. miracle worker, the promise keeper, the light in the darkness. And we can sing of your goodness. We can sing of your greatness, dear God. Because of what you have done, we sing your praises. Running out. 
life laying down. I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. Oh, yes. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. With my life laying down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. again and all my life you have been faithful and all my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able oh I will sing of the goodness of God yes I will sing Yes, I will sing of the goodness of God. Oh God, may with everything that we have, with all that we have, may we sing your praises to a lost and dying world. May we not be ashamed or afraid. May we cry out to you about your greatness your wonderful love. And may the world see that there's something different. And may we tell them about what you have done, how you have provided salvation, how they don't have to spend an eternity away from you. They could have peace and life everlasting if they'll turn to you. Because you are And we want to sing of your goodness all of our days. Give us that boldness. Give us that clear witness to share your love. We ask these things in Jesus' name.
How many of you have seen that commercial uh, by Reese's Buttercups that is encouraging you tonight on Halloween to buy as many of those Hershey, the Reese's Buttercups, turn off all the lights, and enjoy them all by yourself? Have you seen that commercial? I'm not so sure that sometimes the church didn't like that. We hear about the goodness of God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. And we embrace that and we celebrate that. And we're so grateful for it. But we're supposed to be giving it to other people. And I want us to continue to do that as a church. I want to thank you for the ways that, some of the ways that you are. Again, as we gather and worship each Sunday, uh, this is just the tip of the iceberg of what is taking place among our fellowship. So many things that are happening. Last week when we were having the fall festival and looking around to see if I see uh, Edna Earl McCurtain here. Uh, I don't think she's here today. She walked up to me. Uh, I guess we'd been there uh, an hour and a half or so, and she walked up and she said, Raymond, we have registered 5,000 people. Oh, wow, I didn't see all those people. We didn't have 5,000 people, but it felt like it. And uh, I want to thank you for all your energy and effort and throwing a great party for the community to come and to be exposed to what happens at Westgate and to be exposed to the possibility of hearing the gospel. Each and every week uh, on television, as you support that, over 2,000 people are hearing the gospel presented every single week. You have an opportunity this afternoon uh, to give out these invite cards. Uh, these are cards that are located in the back. They're in bundles of 50. You can grab those and give those out as you have trick-or-treaters come by your house. Every year, we have well over 300 kids stop by our house. I never get to present the gospel to that many people at one time at our house. And so I hope that you'll take advantage of that. You can pick up a packet back there at the end and uh, take that with you when you're giving out candy. Uh, to know that the generosity that you have around this community, uh, you paid for over 850 medical community personnel to come and have a free meal just to say thank you for what you've been doing in the midst of the pandemic. You did that. We are not the largest Baptist church in the Golden Triangle Baptist Association, scattered across the entire Golden Triangle, yet we give far more than any other church to minister to the needs of this community through the association to support local churches that don't have the resources that we might have, and I want to thank you for your ongoing help in doing all of that. You may want to uh, sign up for this movie that is coming up and invite a friend, C.S. Lewis. Many of you have heard about that. The most reluctant convert. C.S. Lewis was an atheist. He died on the exact same day as President John Kennedy was assassinated, but he died as a believer in Christ. He surrendered his life to Christ, became one of the greatest apologists of the 20th century. The movie about him will be at Tinseltown this coming Wednesday, only one time, 7 p.m. And if you're interested in going, please let me know, or we'll just plan on seeing there 7 p.m. on Wednesday at Tinseltown. And Vivian is back in the back, as she always is, with the prison ministry. I hope that you'll take some time to stop by there and support the people in the prison ministry, so many of them coming to Christ because of that work. Well, today as we continue in the great interruption, we come to John chapter 19 in which Jesus is buried in the tomb. And we are coming to the very closing of this uh, study. Interesting enough, we will, we will wrap it up as we go back into the sanctuary. Warren didn't give you the best part. We got a, a message from the pew people who took the pews in July. They were the first people in our building to start work. 
took the fuse up to Waco, and they're supposed to be working on those and getting those refinished, ready to go. They're supposed to be putting the fuse in this week. They told us they'll be doing that in the middle of December, maybe. So, and again, I just want to say thank you for being such a flexible church. <laughs> because when we go back in there, we're going to haul all these chairs in there, and you're going to do it. We're going to haul these chairs in there, and we're going to, we're going to make it work, right? Because what matters most is, I've heard of it somewhere, relationships. I thought I heard that somewhere. Relationships matter most. And so eventually we'll have those pews, but it's going to be a great, great opportunity for us. Well, uh, curtain call or set change in, in John chapter 19. As a young kid, I remember my dad, who was a pastor, taking a Sunday off, and he took our family about 30 minutes away to a small community known as Bisbee, Arizona. And we went to a Catholic mass that was given in Latin. You know, my dad never explained why we did that. I guess he just wanted us to experience something different. And in that Latin mass, where you didn't understand a single word that was being done, we were sitting there as a family, and when they began to observe the Eucharist, when everybody stands up to go forward, Everybody stood up, so we stood up, and we left because we thought that was the end of the service. But it wasn't. And what happens in John chapter 19 is, is kind of similar. How many of you have ever been to a Broadway play and you walked out before the very last act? Even worse, how many of you ever walked out on your child's play before it was over? We would never do that, right? We can't imagine walking out before the thing is over. One of the dynamics that interests me most in going to a play is to watch the set change. Now, oftentimes, they'll pull the curtain to do all that, but I, I want to see. I, I have kind of an engineering mind. I want to I see how they designed it, how they put it together, how they bring it together so quickly. You know, John is telling us that this is not a curtain call, but this is a set change. He is leaving the curtain up so we can see that the set is changing for the next act, which will be the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's letting us know that the most important act in all of human history is not over. It's yet to come. But many people live as though the play is already over. That Jesus died and that's it. What tragic information, because we live as people who know the best is yet to come. In John chapter 19, verse 35, John reminds us that he's an eyewitness. He's done that throughout all of this experience, and he let us know that he's writing the gospel as an eyewitness to tell us things that will help us to know that Jesus Christ really is the Son of God, the Redeemer, the Messiah. And so we see that in John 19, verse 35, he says, the man who saw it has given testimony, speaking after Jesus has died, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he, and he testifies so that you may also believe. John is an eyewitness. And as we are watching this play unfold of Jesus' redemption for all of mankind, he is leaving the curtain up and saying, as an eyewitness, there are certain things that I want you to to see. All four Gospels have Jesus coming to the end on the cross by saying that he gave up the Spirit, not that he died, because everybody was clear. Jesus wasn't a victim. 
he laid down his life. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 8 says, no man has authority over death. And we recognize that, don't we? We don't have authority over death, but Jesus did, and he laid down his life. That's why last week I could have just kept on going about to tell us die, because that is such a powerful word that talks about what Jesus has done. He has defeated the de- He has defeated the enemy of death. He has conquered that, given us redemptive life through his redemptive work on the cross. You think about Jesus crying out with such great victory at the end that he had lived a sinless life, and he didn't sin once. That he had gone through the suffering. And he had not failed in any capacity. He had done everything that the Father had called him to do. And now the whole world was invited into redemptive relationship with him. And thus he cried out from the cross to tell us die. Even in his pain and agony, I can picture a smile on his face. He has won the victory. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54, it tells us that death is swallowed up in victory. All of us have experienced death in our lives, and we know what it feels like. It feels like defeat, but we are told in the Gospels, Christ is victorious. So John is saying, these are things that I want you to see, and he wants us to feel the urgency of what is taking place. So many things have to happen so quickly, so he draws our attention to that. He says in John chapter 19, uh, beginning in verse 31, He says that now is the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. And because of this, the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. The urgency that is taking place there, this is a very special Sabbath. It's in the midst of the Passover. Bodies were never supposed to be left unattended, on a cross, dead, whatever they might be, on the Sabbath. Romans had no problem with that. In fact, when someone was crucified, they were oftentimes just left on the cross until nature took care of itself. But John is saying there's great urgency, and we need to pay attention to that. The curtain is up. The set is being changed for the next act, and he wants us to see all of these different components. The first item he wants us to notice are the bones. In John chapter 19, verse 31, and following what we just read, it says, because of this urgency, The religious leaders asked Pilate to have the legs broken of those who had been crucified. Soldiers therefore came and they broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Why is that important? Remember that John is moving through all of his eyewitness account to let us know that Scripture is being fulfilled in the life of Christ. He wants us to know that something horrible has taken place. Crucifixion was horrible, but more noteworthy than that, Jesus was dying for our sins. It shows the seriousness of our sin and what is required for us to be made right with God. Jesus was the Passover lamb, and that's what John wants us to see when he draws attention to what seems to be a very insignificant detail that Jesus' legs were not broken. Why? You go back to Exodus chapter 12, verse 46, and the Passover lamb was not to have any broken legs. It was a picture of what Jesus would do on the cross. What was the process of this? Usually people would last for several days, as much as a week, on the cross. But because the Sabbath was coming and they wanted to make sure that all the victims on the cross, two victims, one laying down his life, 
to make sure that they were dead and off the crosses. They didn't want to defile the land during Passover for this Sabbath. And so the Romans would take a mallet, very gruesome, they would take a mallet, and they would just smash the legs of the crucified. And what would happen then is the, the, the crucified could then no longer push up with their legs, and so they would suffocate, hanging there and dying. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. Why? Remember last week? He bowed his head back and then gave up his spirit, just as he had said. And John wants us to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. He is the one who takes away the sin, gives us victory over the death angel through Christ. Notice the bones. Another item to notice is a spear. Look at verses 34 through 37. Because Jesus is already dead, it says that instead one of the soldiers, instead of breaking his legs pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Again, John is standing just feet away from this experience, so he saw it all with his own eyes. He knows that he tells the truth, saying that I saw it and am given testimony that this is true. In verse 37 it says, So another scripture was fulfilled, that they would look on the one whom they have pierced. Two fulfillments of scripture. Bones were not broken. They look upon the one who was pierced. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, says that they looked upon the one who was pierced. That was Jesus talking about the Messiah. And it goes on to say in that same verse that they would mourn as for one, as if an only child had been lost. We go back to Luke chapter 23, verses 40. Eight, and it says that after Jesus died, the people that were there left beating their chests because they realized what had happened. The spear lets us know that Jesus was dead. What is John doing? He's setting the stage because you can't have a resurrection and you, unless you have someone that has died. And those in the medical community can tell us that the blood in the water is symbolic of death. If he was still alive, you would have just had blood coming out. Remember the, the pericardium we talked about would have been compressed with the fluids. And the fluids and the blood mixed together coming out. These were professional executioners. They understood when someone was dead or they were not dead. And they said Jesus was dead. It's also a picture of his redeeming blood. His blood and wa the water coming out. His redeeming blood giving us living water. Many of you are reading through the Bible this year. You, you read John chapter 4 this past week in which Jesus talks to the woman at the well and says, I will give you water so that you will never thirst again, water that wells up from inside of you. And we repeat the same thing in John chapter 7, verse 38. It was a passage referenced back in Isaiah 58, 11. Here's a picture of, God, of Jesus redeeming blood, giving us living water, eternal life. He wants us to see the spear. He wants us to recognize that the bones weren't broken because this is fulfillment to say that Jesus is the Messiah. And he also wants us to notice the burial. It was William Gladstone, the prime minister of England who died over a century ago, said, show me, and this is important for us to listen to in America. Show me the manner in which a nation cares for its dead. And I will measure with mathematical exactness the tender mercies of its people the respect for the laws of the land, and their loyalty to high ideals. 
How do we treat the dead? John wants us to see how Jesus was treated after he had died. Situation dramatically changes. Look at it. It says in verse 38, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who early had visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about 75 pounds. And taking Jesus' body, the two men wrapped it with spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. Why is he telling this? Because he knows in the next act, he's going to tell us about the resurrection. And these are critical details. Situation has dramatically changed. Jesus' body had been abused and disrespected. Now it is revered and cared for. In death, his body was stripped naked. In burial, he is clothed and cared for. These were faithful followers who had been in the shadows. Nicodemus, Joseph, they had been in the shadows, it says, secret disciples. But now it graced risk to their lives as well as even to their reputations. They step into the light and they prepare Jesus for burial. But notice how they do that. They wrap the spices, which reminds us of how Jews would prepare a body for burial. They wouldn't embalm like the Egyptians. And so they would take long strips and they would wrap spices within the strips around the body. That was a custom. Nobody in this scenario anticipated that Jesus was going to be resurrected. If they had, they wouldn't have taken all this attention, time, and effort. And we find that Jesus is in the midst of those who are wealthy. He was being buried like a wealthy man. To spend this much money on 75 pounds of spices was a lot. Only a rich person would be buried like that. And John wants us to notice that Jesus is prepared. He is dead. He is being wrapped. They're concerned about the decomposition of his body. So they're wrapping him in spices and they are wrapping him up much like a mummy. He wants us to know this so that we're prepared for the next act of the resurrection. Then notice the tomb. In John chapter 19, verse 41, it says, at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. In the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Matthew tells us that this is Joseph's tomb because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Again, urgency. Remember, Jesus died at three in the afternoon. At sundown, at sunset, the Sabbath begins. And they're moving with great expeditions to make sure that all of this has taken place before the Sabbath begins. But notice this. You remember how Jesus controlled all of the details of his death? Something none of us could do. But he also controlled the details of his burial. Only God could do that. Isaiah 53 verse 9, he was buried with the rich. Again, as noted earlier, those that were crucified, 
were either left on the crosses by the Romans or the Jews had an idea that everybody should be buried, but they would be buried in a common grave for criminals. But here is Jesus who has died as a vilest offender in the eyes of the Jews and the Romans, yet he is buried in the tomb of a rich man. Why? Because it was predicted in Scripture. It was Joseph's tomb. John wants us to see this is the Christ son of the living God. And because it was a rich man's tomb, there would be a large stone rolled in front of it that could not be easily moved. Had he been discarded, like the Jews would have done, he would have been thrown into a common grave. But because the large stone was rolled in front, it would be very difficult for anyone to steal his body away. So let me ask you a question as we draw this to a close. Are you living like the play isn't over. We thought it was foolish at the beginning when I was talking about walking out on your child's play before it was over, walking out on a Broadway play before it was over. But are we living like the story is over when Jesus died? I know many people are. It's as if Jesus is a historical figure who came, taught some interesting things, then died, and that was it. But as Christians, we are called to live on a deeper plane. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. John, in Romans chapter 8, verse 37. We are more than conquerors through Christ. Does that define your life? You know, we've walked through some really difficult days, haven't we, over these last 20 months. It has exhausted us, it's worn us out, it's discouraged us, but the gospel works both in and out of a pandemic. Do you remember what divides North Korea and South Korea? It's called what? The 38th parallel, right? And we know that Christianity flourishes in South Korea, and we know that Christians are being executed in North Korea. But did you know that the gospel works on both sides, the 38th parallel? It's not just that it works in certain situations. When there's not a pandemic, or there's not uncertainty, or there's not difficulty, or adversity, the gospel works all the time. We are called to be more than conquerors regardless of the situation. And let me say, we're going to watch this movie, C.S. Lewis, on, on Wednesday. One thing that he noted in Mere Christianity, he says, sunlight cannot be reflected in a dusty mirror as clearly as a clean one. So might we ask the question today, is my mirror clearly reflecting the victory that we have through Christ? Or is there some work that needs to be done? Am I living as if the story is already over or the best is yet to come? Some of you maybe have never committed your life to Jesus Christ. And you need to know that God loves you. And he has created you specifically to have a relationship with him. Talented, no doubt. You are very talented. Skills, abilities, accomplishments. Every last one of you. Those are important. But the greatest purpose of your life is to have a relationship with God. Yet because of our sin, that's why Christ died on the cross. That cross should always present to us the seriousness of our sin. That Jesus had to do that to take care of our sins. Our sins have separated us from ever and forever from God unless we receive the redemption of Jesus Christ. 
inviting him to be Lord and Savior of our lives and forgiving us of all of our sins. And that comes with a full surrender to Christ. That goes for becoming a Christian, and it goes for being a vital Christian. Full surrender to Christ. We see that in the life of Nicodemus and Joseph. They were walking in the shadows, and then when they saw Jesus dying on the cross, and they saw how he died, it was at that point they gave up their secrecy, and they risked everything that they had to pay their very last measure of faithfulness to him, so they thought, until Jesus was resurrected just three days later. If you've never received Christ, I pray that you would surrender your life to Christ and invite him to be Lord and Savior. For those of us that are Christians, let's just go back to what Lewis said. Do I just need to kind of clean off the mirror of my life? I know I do. May you never think that I preach at you. I'm always preaching to myself and you catch the overflow. Maybe we need to clean off our mirror to let God reflect through us the way that he desires in our community. I don't know about you, but I just have a deep longing for God to do new and fresh things in the midst of our congregation, in the midst of our community, in our fellow churches. We are not in competition with other churches. We are here to work together to reach as many people for Christ as we can. So let's pray together uh, to that end. God, we thank you so much that as John witnessed specifically what happened on the cross, he reminds us that each of these things point to you as being Son of God, Messiah, the Savior of the world. I pray that if anyone in this room today or listening online has never received you as Lord and Savior, God, that this would be the day that they say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, if anyone has prayed that prayer, I pray that you would help them to realize they have, they have been born again. They have been saved. They have started on a new journey of eternal life with you. May this be the starting point of a rich and meaningful relationship with you that starts now and lasts throughout all of eternity. Lord, for those of us who are Christians, maybe sensing that the mirror of our life has become a little bit dusty and the reflection is not as clear as it once was or what it needs to be today, that we would repent, that we would return from, re, re, repent and turn from our sins. And God, that we would become a clear reflection of who you are to those that we live with, to those that we work with, to those that we go to school with, to those that we interact with on a daily basis throughout our community. God, do a fresh work in our lives. We pray for that. We long for that. We beg for that. That we would be everything that you have created us to be. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. You know, if you committed your life to Christ in a few moments ago, I want to invite you to make that public. Uh, I'll be standing here at the front. If you want to come down to the front and just say, hey, I received Christ as my Lord and Savior when, you, when we were praying there together. Maybe you want to become a member of this church. I'll be standing at the front to, to just receive you. Maybe you want someone to pray over you. I'm going to ask our deacons, would you just come up here to the, uh, to the front up here, all of our deacons, every last one of you, every deacon. You don't have to look around. Every deacon right now, make your way to the front. Just be up here so people can pray for you and bring your wife with you. I want people to feel comfortable so they can pray with you guys. And uh, let's just use this time to worship and pray and invite God to continue to work 
in our lives as we stand as we worship and respond.
God bless you. Have a great rest of the week. Don't forget to pick up some cards to hand out to the trick-or-treaters tonight. tighter and tighter and people tighten down on it and it gets cracked. But...